Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Chit Heads. My guest today is David Regalin. David is a traveling yoga teacher based in New York City. Sought after for his workshops and teacher's intensives, his unique talent for simple yet precise articulation of form and technique echo in the bodies and minds of his students. As a young teacher, David was at the forefront of what became a popular trend of choreographed vinyasa classes to the sound of live music. He created the Multi-Intenso Experience, a class that garnered a cult following in New York City. Multi-Intenso is a technique-based athletic and dynamic style of yoga centered around handstands. Over time, David's reflective nature and incessant personal investigation into the potential transformative powers that a yoga practice can give has led him to a more comprehensive approach to how physical form relates to psychological and emotional states. Inclined toward the mystical and timeless, greatly influenced by intensive study with Naveen Mishan, David's practice and teaching has evolved into a more refined adaptation of how an asana or postural practice can instigate profound mind-body awareness. So hello, David. Thank you so much for joining me. Hi, thanks for having me. Um, so I want to start this conversation, um, which, you know, we'd, uh, I mentioned a little bit in your bio or in your bio is referenced this kind of transformation that took place in your own teaching practice. So I do want to talk a little bit about that today as well as some other topics. But before we get into all of that, I'd love to hear a little bit about your story and what led you to uh, your yoga practice. Uh, so, um, well, I had a girlfriend who... Uh, I was just running and I I'd had some martial arts background, so I sort of dabbled in different styles. Uh, but mostly I just ran and did push-ups and sit-ups and things like that. And I had a girlfriend who showed me a few stretches that, you know, sort of complemented my um, physical routine. And, um, and that was basically it for about a year. I would do like down dog, plank, chaturanga, up dog, down dog, and, and a couple of lunges um, and a couple of forward bends. And <laughs> that, that was, was my practice. That okay. was it. And then... Um, uh, at some point, I was bartending, on, uh, and there was Jivamukti Yoga was just down the street, and uh, literally like a flyer, they had these flyers outside, and the, the breeze would always blow down Lafayette, and it literally blew a flyer right into my face. No. And I took the, it was like literally, yeah, like right into my face, and I, I took the flyer off my face, and it was like, I'll try this. Um, I'll try an actual yoga class, and I went to a basics class. And, uh, I, you know, struggled through it and, but I felt amazing afterwards. And, um, I decided, you know, I'll go once or twice a week, um, just to sort of augment my other, um, exercise programs. And, uh, and pretty soon I realized I felt better after the yoga than I did after the other things. And so yoga became the main thing. Uh, so that's how I got started. And, and, it, and Jiva Mukti was where I started practicing. And what, what year was that? That was probably like. 89 no sorry uh it's um 99 oh wow so it was like yeah it was just before um it's like a year before 9 11 or something like that oh man that's yeah. insane wow yeah and um so you know when you went to jivamukti obviously jivamukti is focused uh or they you know try to balance the asana with the spirituality did you have any receptivity towards that at the time or was that sort of a later development I did. Well, in college, I went, there was a Dharma center, a Buddhist Dharma center, where I would go and meditate uh, for about like maybe a year, a, half, a year and a half of my time in college, which was in Ohio, in um, Yellow Springs, Ohio, a school called Antioch. And so there was a little Dharma center, and I would take an hour-long meditation session you know, three to five times a week. 
And um, so I had an interest in that. I also read the I Ching religiously. I would take long walks with like a passage from the I Ching and try to understand it on some level. And then, um, and so I was curious and, and I, and I was also going through a very dark phase at the time that I, um, found yoga. So I think I was searching for something to kind of like lighten the load, you know? Right. Um, and, and Jivamukti seemed to promise some sort of transcendence and, uh, and, and I bought into it. Um, I was a vegetarian, <laughs> I was a vegetarian at the time. So, you know, they had lots of their, they had a real lean into, um, vegetarianism and especially veganism. And so that didn't, um, that didn't, that wasn't something I had to like adapt to or change. Right. Uh, but more or less just sit through the lecture. Yeah. Um, but I did go there with a sort of jaded attitude, like, you know, what do these people know? And, um, I remember in the very beginning I would wear my headphones. I would keep a little headphone in my ear and sit in the back of the room and just listen to music while no, they were you talking. Did not. Yeah. It's so terrible. <laughs> I did that. And then also I inherited a shirt from a friend of mine, um, from a barbecue place in Ohio. And, uh, the, the shirt had a pig, holding a spatula or a fork or something like that on the back of the shirt it said keep on ribbing and i would wear this to jivamukti you know like all these you know really like serious vegans there and so i got a lot of um, sideways looks and and, but and no, then eventually that no direct criticisms though uh maybe i don't know i think i was like i think i really didn't give a shit and so <laughs> that's part of and that was just sort of my attitude at the time you know i'm in my early 20s and um so i just couldn't care um, if they did comment, but yeah, I mean, people gave me sideways glances and stuff. And eventually I wore the shirt out. It literally like fell off of me. And so then that shirt was gone. I didn't go like, look for another barbecue shirt to wear. So, um, yeah. I just, I just was like, I'm not throwing out this shirt. I like this shirt. You know? uh, yeah. Um, uh, so, okay. So you were, you were skeptically drinking the Kool-Aid in your, in your kind of, yeah. yeah. I mean, some of the teachers, like there was one teacher, I remember Uma Saraswati yeah. and she was just like, you know, I, I wasn't, I was, I just found her so fascinating. She was so passionate that, um, I could go along for the ride. Mm -hmm. Um, but, uh, yeah, I wasn't like, um, I was, I, I, I'm not the kind of person that wants to belong to anything. Yeah. So, yeah. do you know, uh, like I, I catch myself when I feel like I'm belong to something and then I kind of like turn the other way. Uh, and mm. you know, That'll that be a, that'll be a, and a fault at the same time. We yeah. can talk about that later. Yeah, <laughs> well, I think that makes a lot. It's interesting that you say that because it's sort of like it, it, it allows one to sort of look at your history of moving from studios, uh, maybe in that light. Um, but sure. yeah, I mean, regarding Jivamukti, it's interesting because I, I, I feel similarly in that, you know, there's certain teachers that I feel like really speak that Dharma very authentically, but then there are others that maybe haven't quite landed in that, you know, authentic voice of the teachings. And, and unfortunately, because it's sort of like one of their priorities or one of their, you know, you know, required things that you have to do a Dharma talk, then it ends up, you know, people speak in a voice as a teacher that isn't exactly uh, coinciding with, with who they are just yet. Right. And, and, and you can't fault them because, you know, if that's what they want to do, they have to practice it and they're going to be sure. bad at it. You know, like no one, I mean, unless someone's just a pure natural talent, has a talent for that, then, you know, they're going to give a really sort of, you know, a boring talk in the beginning. But yeah, I mean, Jivamukti, they, they set that mold, that template. And so, you know, like if someone learned yoga there or learned yoga from someone who learned yoga there and takes classes where you chant and then you talk or the other way around, I don't remember. And then you do the asana and then you meditate and whatever. And it's like every little 
you know, every aspect of yoga supposedly like put into this hour and a half class. Mm -hmm. Um, and so now like, if you don't have that in your class, if you just start with asana, people are like, oh, this isn't a real yoga class. Like a real yoga class has all these components to it. Right. And so you're like, okay, so like when you go to college, you take classes called college, you know, (laughs) or or do you take subjects, you know, like I'm teaching an asana class. So that's why you're learning asana here. And if someone wants to teach you chanting, that's great. And if someone wants to teach you a little bit of both, that's cool too. But like nothing's missing, you know, it's only because of your expectations that someone might think something's missing. But yeah, I, for sure, uh, some people are better than others of that. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I definitely have heard that kind of complaint before that there's this sort of standard understanding of what, what the template is, and then they think that is what is definitive of yoga. But of course, what's interesting is that even that template is extremely contemporary, right? It's not that right, old. Of course. <laughs> and really what the real yoga is, if we're going to use that, you know, problematic term, it's actually something very different. Um, so, but it's interesting talking about templates, because maybe this is a good way to segue into our conversation about how, you know, yoga has changed, because I'm wondering if you see it, it seems to me at least, and and of course I've been practicing less and been in the community less time as you have, but it seems to me that that there is sort of less templating being kind of um, transmitted in the context of teacher trainings. So you get a lot of teachers that are sort of like getting out of teacher trainings and just, you know, doing whatever without much sort of, you know, guidance on a kind of effective template or a time-tested template or anything like that. Do you think that's an issue that, that there is less sort of regulation around, maybe that's the wrong word, but less sort of guidance around how a class should be structured? Um, well, you know, like there are people that, yes and no. Um, I think for the practice to move forward, it's always good to have people that are willing to kind of like, you know, just totally disregard what already happened and just move forward or even reinvent and and good things will come of it and bad things will come of it. I mean, it's not like the classical methods of yoga have some, you know, excellent, um, history of uh, a track record of like, you know, injury free practitioners, you know, I'm talking physically, spiritually, emotionally, and everything, you know, I mean, people have just kind of, we've, we're now just seeing people who the first Westerners who learned yoga and coming out the other end. And, you know, there's hip replacements, there's spinal surgeries, there's just like nervous breakdowns, there's all of that stuff. And so all the promises of the classical methods that, you know, things you read in light on yoga were like the, 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 whatever you call the, um, he used the word for practitioner that made it sound like more sort of glorious, you know, but Sadaka or whatever. Who Sadaka, does the, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Who, who performs this asana shall never experience, you know, sleeplessness and will always feel light. And, you know, and you're like, okay, then I've met these senior teachers and like, you know, I can tell these by the bags under their eyes, like some of them don't sleep, you know? Uh-huh. And so, so I don't, I don't buy into any of that. So like, I, but I do think that, um, without repetition, there's, you don't really, you don't refine and you don't really know what you're playing with and what you're doing. Um, and anytime you see somebody pull off something amazing, like if they really do it well, it's because they repeat it over and over and over and over and over again, and they might change their approach, but it's in that repetition. So what I see is just, there's a lot of random efforts in modern vinyasa where people string together sort of frilly postures that, you know, and then they wonder why like their practice doesn't really go anywhere mm-hmm. or why they're injured because there's just like this randomness, like there's no like sort of neuromuscular memory that starts to build yeah. where you can like really refine to a higher degree. Um, so I find that that can be problematic, but I think it's just because there's more and more and more teachers, there's just going to be more and more and more 
bullshit. I mean, let's say that I, I, I bet the percentage of like good yoga versus sort of crappy yoga has always been the same, like 70, 30, let's say, mm-hmm. you know, 70 being the crappy yoga. And, um, and it's probably the same, but now there's just more teachers. So it seems like there's more, yeah. you know, poor yoga, but I don't know. I'm not really worried about it. I think because I think honestly, like intelligent people seek intelligent things. And I think that the, the inner communication, like online, people like are always like, oh, no, like social media is ruining this practice. Like it really is not. It's totally enhancing it. Like the fact that you have like hand balancers, like actually teaching you how they do advanced hand balancing instead of just the, the good handstand dude in the community teaching you, you know, the fact that you have like you know, people into movement, people come from gymnastics, martial arts and dance, et cetera, like weighing in and like, you know, all that sharing of information, good things are happening mm. to people who are seeking out good things, you know, yeah. but if someone's just like bouncing around from one class to another a class pass style or something like that, yeah, they're likely just kind of, you know, they're not really looking for that. They're just looking for like a quick, um, endorphin fix. And, and so, yeah. yeah, yeah. So I hear what you're saying. You're essentially highlighting the fact that a, a kind of new multidisciplinarity is sort of entering into uh, people's kind of yoga education process, which I do agree is good. Um, but I'm curious what you think also just about, you know, the 200 hour model. And also, I, I'm curious before you answer that, did you, are you sort of of the, you know, um, group of yoga teachers who actually didn't have to do that 200 hour because it was before the requirements? Or did you uh-huh. actually do one? No, I'm not that I'm not that old in the game, but uh, I did a 200-hour training. I did that at Laughing Lotus, actually. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, I did my 200-hour at Laughing Lotus. Um, and as far as I knew back then, that's what you needed to do to to get in there. Uh, someone like maybe my friend Alex Audaire. Yeah, I, I'm not sure what I, I couldn't say speak for her whether she did a 200-hour or not, but she's probably been doing yoga long enough that uh, you could just kind of like be like you know, look at my split and then do teach a yoga class, you know, like you don't have to necessarily. Yeah, I think that's true. I think Alex didn't yeah. actually do a 200 hour and that she was into the, that group of people who were grandfathered yeah, yeah. into that. Um, but, you know, do you think that the 200 hour is, you know, especially when you compare it to something, I say this all the time, like the Insight Meditation Society, they have, in order to become a meditation teacher, you have to study for four years. And right. you know, while, while certainly I would argue that, you know, meditation is a more advanced practice, you could also make the argument that there are less literally moving parts in a meditation <laughs> practice. Right. And there, and yet here we have asana and all it takes is like, you know, a one month training in, in Zimbabwe or, or, you know, I don't know, Thailand or something. And, um, and then you, and then there you are and you're, and you're essentially, um, an, you know, analogous to any other yoga teacher around. So I'm wondering what you think about that in terms of being able to prepare teachers for, you know, showing up in the room and being able to offer quality instruction. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, most people, almost everybody, and I would include myself says, says the same thing. Like I took my 200 hour to deepen my practice. And I think most people who come out of these trainings don't actually end up teaching. I don't really have any statistics on this, but it doesn't seem like everyone, it could, doesn't seem like the economy can, the yoga economy could support th- as many teachers are coming out of these trainings. Yeah. Uh, unless maybe they're just teaching like one class a week somewhere, you know? Yeah. Um, my grandmother did yoga. She, uh, she grew, she lived in Charlotte, North Carolina. Wow. She picked up a book on yoga she taught herself from a book. I love that. Uh, and I know other people who did the same thing, older, you know, of the older yoga generation, just learned from a book. 
And then she started a local yoga class in Charlotte, North Carolina. Like no one did yoga. I mean, it was like, what is that? What are you doing? Um, and so I have a picture of me, like, you know, as a baby crawling around next to her in a headstand, you know? Wow. Um, yeah, That's it's so awesome. awesome. And, and so she taught like local friends of her some yoga poses and she was no authority and there was no, you know, I mean, I'm sure the book, the instructions were pretty minimal. And, um, and if you go to, you know, if you look at the people who are trained in these classical styles, oftentimes, like, you know, maybe with certain exceptions, like Iyengar yoga or something like that, they're kind of just like, just do the pose, just do the practice and, you know, you know, stick with the method and, and you don't have to worry about the techniques and the nuances and the subtleties. And for sure, people were injured because of what they didn't know, I guess. But uh, that said, I mean, my commentary on the 200-hour training is that I think that when people teach a 200-hour training, they should teach what they know and they should hire people who teach what they know. And I think then you come out knowing, like, you know, you get a good experience in what the person really specializes in. Mm. But the whole thing with, a, like, the 200-hour where it's like, okay, now we're going to have, like, the anatomy person come in. Right. And the anatomy person may or may not actually do yoga. And if the anatomy person does do yoga, hopefully they have some way of, like, speaking very directly to what the person's going to be teaching and how that anatomy is, like, relevant, you know? Rather than just getting this anatomy coloring book that nobody actually colors in, learning the <laughs> names of bones that you're not actually that your students are never going to know and you're not going to instruct with those names, you know, like, so like, you know, a bunch of, bunch of Latin names and you know, you've maybe colored some things in, but you don't really know how to apply it. You know, yeah. the best teachers are the ones who really just like are keen on developing their teaching and they continue to do it like sort of relentlessly, you know, like they have to have a passion and an interest for it. And, um, I don't know. I mean, I sometimes wonder, it's like, should you, you know, there's some styles of yoga and I'd rather not name them where like, I think the whole entire method is entirely flawed, you know? Mm -hmm. And, um, and so as I'm not sure if I'm happy about, or I like the idea that people are like super, um, skilled in this flawed method, you know? Yeah. And then really like stick to it and have this authority and teach it with such authority, you know, and people are like, you know, this alignment style of yoga, that's the gold standard. And you're like, seriously, that triangle pose, you're trying to smush against the wall and you're trying to jam that femur into your hip, like that's going to lead to, you know, that's going to break to wear down the cartilage. It's just a matter of time, you know? So how, you know, but the person's like knows everything about that method and that pose. So I'm not really sure. I don't know where I stand on it, you know, like mm -hmm. I'm kind of like somewhere in the middle where I'm like, I'm just thinking that, you know, good people teach good trainings. And then there's all these other kind of you know, branded styles, which may, should, or may, I'm not really sure if they should, you know, continue for that long. Okay. So you say you, you don't want to mention any names, David, but can we, can we get a general? I mean, I've done it so many times. Already. <laughs> <laughs> I just don't want to get like, yeah, whatever. I don't, I don't want the heat, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> that's okay. We'll, we'll leave it in the dark then for now. And people can just, you know, guess or uh, speculate. Um, yeah, sure. so, so, uh, you know, it's been a while since this has happened, but I feel like I can't do an interview with you without talking about the New York Magazine article, yeah. um, which, you know, caused a bit of a um, uproar. Maybe that's a little bit of a melodramatic word, but um, do you want to give do you want to give a, a kind of, you know, a summary of what this magazine essentially argued or said and then and then talk a little bit about your response to it? Sure. Well, just like a brief, so just how the whole thing like went down in the first place was that the journalist 
planted herself at Kula Yoga and pretended to be a karmi yogi or, or someone who works at the desk for free, basically, whatever that's called. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if Kula called it that, but like basically you work or you work for classes. You can work at the desk and you get classes. So this journalist, I think, working for New York Magazine doesn't need the free classes unless there's something I don't know about. Maybe journalists don't get paid as much as I think they do. But anyway, she planted herself there looking for a scoop. And, um, you know, at Kula, like probably many yoga studios, but especially these, you know, community yoga studios, there's a lot of gossiping going on. And uh, I was having little riffs there um, with people that I'm still friends with, by the way. Um, But just, you know, like, oh, this is, you're taking my style and kind of twisting it and trying to make it yours or, you know, things going on like that. And like, I felt like I was kind of like also speaking up for the other teachers about like getting paid better. And so I was like sort of unhappy there. And, um, even though I really built up my teaching there and looking back, I would never trade that for anything. Um, but it was just going through a phase, you know, where I was yeah. like, I don't know about this studio. I'm not getting paid enough. I'm contributing a lot and I'm not feeling like, you know, um, that's being honored and, and valued. Uh, anyways, um, so she picked up on that, and um, Naveen was about to open her studio in Chelsea. She's formerly just teaching up in Bedford Hills, an hour outside of the city. Uh, and so she was going to open up in the city, and her, you know, the students who had been traveling up there to practice with her were going to be her teachers there. So mm-hmm. me, myself, Philip, and other people, Philip Askew. And um, so on my last class... Uh, the very last class I taught, I said, thank everybody for coming. This is my last class here at Kula. And everybody like clapped and whatnot. Uh, And she comes up to me and she was like, oh, it's your last class? Like I was just about to write an article about you and Kula. And I was like, well, why don't you write an article about me and Katona? Because that's about to open up. And so that would be a nice thing. And she's like, yeah, totally, I'll do that. She had full knowledge that I was leaving Kula and that I was going to She knew already, but she was pretending not to. Mm -hmm. So she went uh, to my new class at Katona, which was just starting. And I just had like a few people in the class. And she took the class. And afterwards, I sat down with her and she put on her uh, recorder on her phone. And she interviewed me. And I talked about my style of teaching and how I'm influenced by Naveen. And I'm really excited about Katona yoga and how I'm going to try to adapt the method of Katona to the vinyasa style and so forth. And then she records that. She's like, thank you so much. That was great. And then um, she's like, we'll schedule a photo shoot for you. Then she emailed, texts me the next day and says, oh, I'm sorry. I lost that recording. I deleted it by accident. I can't believe this. Can we do it again? So oh she, this time we met, right, exactly. And this time we met at a restaurant and I had just been teaching all day. And, you know, like running around hustling privates and teaching numerous classes. And so I was like, I'm really hungry. Like I got to, you know, sh- uh, eat something. So she was fasting. And drinking her tea, you know, with her fasting breath. And I was sitting across from her with a burger and a beer. This time I'm not a vegetarian and no longer am a vegetarian, by the way. Um, Anyway, so I'm having a burger and a dark beer. uh, And she makes note of that. Uh, And so we talk about the same things, basically. And then after we get the check, she's like, I got this. And I'm like, oh, great, thanks. Um, She's like, so why are you leaving Kula? And I'm like, well, you know, like... The vinyasa is just getting, you know, people are, they think what they're doing is really creative, but, and it might be, but it's not very constructive. And I think people, this kind of yoga is going to lead to injury. And I'm thinking we're off the books, we're off the record here, you know? Right. right. So I'm just kind of, you know, just talking. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I went on and on like that. And that was, that became the thing. 
I thought I was going to get a little like corner, like try out David Reglan's class, new studio popping up, like at the back of the magazine, yeah. like, you know, one of those like what to check out, what's new and you know, what's new in New York type of thing. I didn't know I was going to get a full on spread. Like I was the centerfold. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So they put a centerfold thing and it happened to come out, I think right around the same time as the John Friend thing. And so everybody was like, let's, you know, oh, yoga. I've always wanted to like fucking puncture a hole in this you know, yoga bubble. Yeah. Uh, and so the way they, she framed it, it really caught me off guard. And, um, and I think I read through it once and was just got so heated that I just like opened up my computer and wrote my response. It's full of typos and everything, you know? Mm -hmm. I think I made it like read through it once and fixed a, fixed a couple of grammatical errors, but not all of them. And then um, like s sent it off and, um, and that got published. And then I basically was just like, I'm not gonna look at this anymore. I'm just, I'm like an introverted person. Like I don't like, like I, I need to be in the public eye and I, in, in the sense I like communicating with the public, but I don't, I feel very uncomfortable. I felt really uncomfortable in the heat, it, like when everyone, when eyes are on me. Yeah. And um, like, I remember I had to fly somewhere and teach and I remember going to the airport and people like whispering and staring. And I was like, this is definitely not my imagination yeah. because I'm the center of all this New York magazine. We're in LaGuardia airport, you know? Um, exactly. So my response was, I don't even remember. I haven't read my response in a long time, but I was, I, I think I just alluded to the fact that like, really this woman just doesn't, I mean, I remember mentioning Iyengar and Ashtanga and she was like, what is that? And I was like, okay, go Google Iyengar and Ashtanga yoga as long as you're writing a, a yoga article, you know? Um, she really didn't have much. She was like the one person in the office who did a little bit of yoga, you know? And they were like, hey, why don't you go write that article? And she was like, great, got it, awesome, you know? Yeah, exactly. And so, exactly. So I was just like, you know, whatever. And people, you know, some people, there was, I was surprised because I did get a lot of support from people who were like, I'm with you on this, you know? Yeah. And other people were like, this guy's such a hypocrite and... Um, so yeah, did whatever. you, when you read that article, did it make you angry, frustrated? What was the kind of emotional Both, response? Yeah, I was, I felt betrayed, you know, mm -hmm. because I felt, I was like, that was supposed to be off the record, what I said. And my words were kind of twisted and, um, yeah, both. And I, and I felt just kind of like, yeah, I don't know. I guess, I think now I would, I would. I would handle it much better and I would probably just go full on, you know, if somebody was like, okay, what don't you like about yoga? I'd be like, here it is. And I would lay it out, you know? Um, whereas at that time I just really wasn't ready to be that guy. And, um, and then yeah. I was, but you know, only good things came of it. I mean, I, it put me on the map a little bit and, uh, and I started getting invited to places and, um, you know, people don't like you. That's a, like, as they say, haters are going to hate. And so I feel like if you're not, if, if no one's reacting to you positively or negatively, you're not really saying anything. I mean, in, in, mm -hmm. in whatever genre you're in, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So, so I'm, I'm all, I'm for it now. Yeah. Well, since you are for it, uh, now I have to <laughs> ask, ask the follow-up question. What do you not like about yoga? <laughs> Uh, well, here's one thing I don't like is that, um, and I think I, I thought this for a while myself, is that when people start doing yoga, it's like it's this new thing and it's this thing most likely that they were missing. Like when I started yoga, I never really stretched, you know, mm -hmm. and I did. There were so many positions I just never put my body in. I remember waiting for the, you know, class, the yoga class to start sitting on the floor. Like I couldn't just sit in a regular cross-legged seat, forget yeah. Lotus, like yeah. on the floor without like 
being agonizing pain, you know? And I was like, I'm in my early 20s. Why is it so hard to sit on the floor? Because I don't sit on the floor, you know? So I'm thinking, like, I'm dropping every other activity I did. I'm thinking yoga is the best thing. And I'm, like, looking down my nose at every other kind of physicality. Like, oh, these people are so stupid. Why don't they just try yoga, you know? Yeah. And I felt that way for a long time. And I think yoga's soul is this complete practice. And there really is no such thing, you know? Like, yeah. there's so many things you're not doing with your body. And that, that doesn't mean that everybody has to do everything with their body and be some, like, super athlete or, you know, like all around fitness person. But I think selling that idea that yoga is this complete practice is, uh, is one fault, um, in, in how it's being offered. And then another one is, is just, um, I don't know. I think that people, you know, n not everybody, we assume that everybody's so stiff and so tight and needs to be pulled apart and loosened up. But, um, some people are really like, you know, are hypermobile and, uh, and they exploit that with the practice. Yeah. Um, and so that could, you know, obviously become a problem down the line. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I mean, you know, people put, they hand themselves, oh, they hand over their sort of their better judgment to their yoga teachers. And I think that once you do a teacher training and you realize, you know, that it's just regular people and then they go out there and then some people stand up and are very authoritative and then you believe everything they say. And, um, and I think that exists, that seems to be more so something in the yoga world than it is in, you know, like the fitness world. Like you don't take life advice from your, you know, fitness your weightlifting coach or something like that or maybe you do i don't know i mean i don't really take weightlifting classes but like with yoga classes they're like literally like telling you how to live you know and you're like mm -hmm. okay what do you know well exactly i feel like that has actually kind of you know seeped into the whole sort of instagram culture it's like you know someone does a really fancy pose or it's like it's almost as if there's this implication that because i can do like contortionist things with my body i have something illuminating to contribute <laughs> uh right. when i think these are two you know mutually exclusive things um so you know in the reply to the new york magazine article you mention that you felt like the the whole article in in and of itself sort of aligned with a new wave of yoga skepticism. Um, so I want to talk about a little bit about yoga skepticism, and I'm I'm just wondering if you think any of the skepticism is warranted from from your point of view. Um, yeah, for sure. I mean, I'm a skeptic about. I think I think yeah, like you're saying, mm -hmm. I, I'm a skeptic about everything. Um, but I don't know. I mean. Give me an example. I'm not sure what people are saying these days. Um, well, I think it's more that, you know, you, you know, you're a skeptic about sort of the way the for, the forms that yoga takes. And then there's people that think, you know, we shouldn't be doing any yoga at all because it's a form of cultural appropriation or, oh, you know, right. or our modern postural yoga is a bastardization of real yoga. Therefore, it should not be practiced. That kind of thing. Oh, gotcha. Yeah. Okay. Well, as far as cultural appropriation goes, um, yoga, whatever we consider to be classical yoga, appropriated other, you know, techniques from other physical cultures. Uh, and that's very well documented. Um, there's no, like yoga did not invent the backwards bending of the spine or the forward bending of the spine or the standing on the hands or the hanging from the branches of trees or anything like that. But it was certainly systematized there. Um, and that was, and all that stuff came much later after the meditation and the breathing exercises and certain kind of like, you know, specific seated postures that you would sit in basically just to facilitate those two things. Mm -hmm. So, um, 
you know, I think what it does is it diminishes yoga as a science or as like a real like um, human, like, you know, if it's, if it's so culturally specific, then like why, um, what, what's the value to other people outside of that culture? You know, I think if it really has like, if it has like real biological, like effect on our physiology and our like brain chemistry, then it should work on anybody from any culture. So it should stand alone as a science. And I think Iyengar said that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so if it's, I, I always thought of yoga as a human science and that's really my only interest in it. And the cultural associations, I have very, very little interest. I don't have very, I have very little interest in Sanskrit and chanting and all of that stuff. Although it's cool. Like I'll chant if someone like leads a chant, I'm not the guy not chanting. You're not you know? going to put headphones in? <laughs> not anymore. No. But in the beginning I was like, what does this have to do with anything? And I was like, oh, actually, you know, when you chant, it does. Like, I mean, singing, and, I, and I've, I come from a musical background, so, like, singing makes me feel good. It does create a vibration. So I think, but you can chant in any language. I mean, honestly, if people came in and chanted in, like, Chinese or in, like, Arabic or whatever, they would also feel good, and they wouldn't be like, I wish it was, I just wish there was something like Sanskrit I could chant in, you know? Like, it just happened to be Sanskrit they learned. If it was German, they would have been chanting in German, honestly. Yeah. Uh, so... I'm not, I can understand how somebody might be like, oh, it's lost from what its foundation is. But I mean, you go to India and talk to like the teachers who are, you know, supposed to be the authentic ones. And it's not like there's some consensus about what authentic yoga really is. I mean, the gurus are bickering amongst one another as to what is like really authentic. So it's like, I'm not really involved in that conversation. I don't care. And if someone says you're not teaching real yoga, I'm like, okay, fine. I'm teaching shmoga, you know? (laughs) And honestly, I would say I'm teaching like, Shmoga calisthenics, you know, like it's totally fine. Like I don't, I don't, I don't identify as a yogi. I could really care less if someone's like, you're not a real yogi. And I'm like, I'm not a real chef, but I still can cook up a a plate of food for myself and feed myself good, nutritious food, you know? Mm -hmm. So I think of yoga as food. It's like, is there, is it nutrient content? Is it like, am I doing well? Like, what's the big picture here? Um, then you're on the right track. So I really don't care if my food has the, as Naveen would say, like the curry flavor, you know, people love that curry flavor. So it's got the Indian flavor, even if it's not like the real thing they're like good enough tastes a little curryish, you know yeah so i just want the nutrients i just want the food so i'll do whatever's good and so i go into the same mental state pretty much when i go for a run or when i do like you know calisthenics like sort of more gymnastic style training i'm not a gymnast but you know following some of the modality um I, I'm in the same kind of like oneness state that I am when I do yoga postures, you know, and, and, and that's really all I'm looking for is like uh, a place for, you know, where I'm doing something positive or I'm like helping myself and I'm also creating like this space for, uh, you know, introspection. Mm. I need that. I crave that. So as long as I have introspection, like I feel like I did a yoga practice and something, but that's not yoga. And then you run into that wall where it's like, okay, fine, I'm not teaching yoga. And then you say, you know, chaturanga, up dog, down dog, or even you don't say chaturanga, you say half push up, up dog, down dog. This is not yoga. And someone's going to fold their arms and be like, but that is yoga. Mm-hmm. And you're like, okay, yeah. so it is yoga. Like, I really don't care, honestly. I think that's such a, the people who are spending their time arguing about that need to just go practice. I feel like if someone's really upset about like where yoga is going this day, like yeah. yoga hasn't changed. Like your yoga practice could be super authentic. The fact that there's like lame people on Instagram doing lame, saying lame things and doing lame things does not change your practice. If it is, it means you should unfollow those people. Like no one told you to follow them. Yeah. So when someone's complaining about like Instagram yoga, I'm like, who are you following, bro? Follow the authentic people. And what yeah. you realize is the authentic people, a lot of them are kind of burnt out, supposedly quote unquote authentic people. They burnt out. They're out of shape. 
literally like in all kinds of ways you know like they put their practice down basically because they broke themselves they injured themselves i mean some people are maybe here and there thriving but a lot of people like i don't see a good track record so i'm not like oh i I need to stick to what these guys were doing because they ended they turned out great you know like i don't really see it and that sounds jaded to say i I hear myself and i'm like that sounds pretty jaded you don't know who's out there and what they're doing but i'm like you know show me the, the 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 someone with the light coming off of them you know what i mean yeah, no, there's I, people who teach these meditation retreats, silent meditation retreats. You find out they're complete charlatans, you know, and you're yeah, like, yeah. And the people come back after three years of silence, and they can't like go shopping at Whole Foods without freaking out. You're like, so was that worth it? You know, yeah, good for you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think you know, as we've matured in this community, you know, we've also developed a lot. I think it's safe to have skepticism. It's good to have skepticism about teachers because there have been so many charlatans. But it it is unfortunate because it is. I think, you know, there are there are genuine teachers out there that have something there to are. offer, and it's but it's just becoming increasingly hard to sort of you know discern. Um, uh, but I think you're, what you're, you're, the point you're making is valid, and 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 I certainly you know bristle at any kind of attempt by anyone to, um, you know, de- declare or claim the, uh, the authentic yoga, quote unquote, because of course there's just so many ways you can poke hole, holes in that from a variety of different perspectives. Um, but I want to shift to now to talk about, um, teachers in your life. And obviously yeah. I know that you've been deeply impacted by Naveen of Katona Yoga. Yeah. But I'm curious, before we talk about Naveen, have there been any other teachers before Naveen that had a deep impact in a kind of similar way from, you know, yoga or other places in your life? Yeah. um, We're talking just about yoga teachers, I assume. Um, I mean, there have been individuals who are senior to me and have sort of mentored me um, in in subtle ways and and more obvious ways. but as far as yoga, I mean, the first big influence, it definitely was uh, Dana Flynn, Dana Trixie Flynn of yeah. Laughing Lotus. So mm-hmm. I took my 200-hour training there, and she was a force. She is, I, I yeah. assume, still. I haven't seen her in a long time. A force to be reckoned with. Um, and she just opened her studio, the big studio. I think they had a little studio, and then they made this big move and, like, you know, plunked down a bunch of money to lease this big space on, I think it was Sixth Avenue, I assume it's still there. Mm-hmm. Um, and she intimidated me and I was like scared of her. And I think <laughs> I remember, um, I, cause I, I kind of just joined the training. I didn't, hadn't really been a Laughing Lotus practitioner. Um, I think I wanted to take the Jeevan Mukti, but it was too expensive and the timing wasn't right. So theirs was starting like the week that I thought of taking a training, theirs was starting like the next week. And I was like, oh, let's do it. I got the money, boom, here, let's do it. But I didn't know her yet. So the first, I took a class, I think, she and Jasmine Turkeshi were, if I said that right, I hope, um, were leading the training at the time. And uh, I took Jasmine's class. I was like, I should probably take their class. And Dana was in the class and I was breathing like I was taught to breathe at Jivamukti, Ujjayi breathing. And my breathing was like super loud as they kind of urged you to breathe. Uh, so, you know, the, the Darth Vader style Ujjayi yeah, breathing. Yeah, yeah. And Dana, I don't know this, hates that or didn't like that or thought it was a stupid way to breathe. And um, so she was next to me like glaring at me and I was like, oh shit, is this the owner of the studio? And then at some point in the class, which is, I guess, very typical, the Laughing Lotus style, uh, I assume it still is, that uh, we did like a partner exercise and I was like, oh, not I hate that. 
I hate that. I still hate that. I'm like, oh my God, seriously. And so I think I was like, I looked to the person next to me and I was like covered in sweat. And the thing was this is like, I was covered in sweat. I was like, especially when I first started yoga, I would be like drenched in sweat from doing anything, you know? Me too. And so I'm looking at the petite girl next to me who's totally dry. And like, we're supposed to like lock elbows back (laughs) to back and like back bend each other or something like that. And I was like, yeah, I'm going to spare you this. Like I, you know, you don't want to lean up against me right now. And uh, Dana came over like a dart from the other end of the room. And she was like, listen, if you're going to take our 200 hour training, you're going to have to do things like this. So you better participate. Like kind of was like, I was like, okay. And so I was like, damn, what am I in for? Anyway, but as the training went on, um, I thought she was really fascinating and, um, and she knew her stuff and she was invested in yoga in the long haul and she could do some shit. Like she could, she had some moves that I'd never, you know, I'd never seen anybody like float like her before. I mean, yeah. I never, I didn't even use the word floating because I didn't know what, you know, jumping forward and having that control and stuff. I'd never seen anybody do it. So she could do, had moves. She also had like just a lot of spirit. And I was like, okay, I was in a really dark place at the time and I, I kind of wanted to get over myself. And so that training was just, you know, laughing all the styles, like really kind of extroverted and um, it's like a party. And so it was, it was good for me. And, um, and, and then she did warm up to me. And when she saw me get up, you know, during the practice teaching sessions and, and speak and, and tell jokes and like kind of make people laugh a little bit. And she was like, okay, I see some potential for this guy. And it didn't hurt that I was a guy and yoga, there weren't that many male teachers, you know, yeah, yeah. um, at the time. And so I think she wanted a guy on the schedule. So she hired me right out the bat and then she kind of, um, mentored me a little bit. And, um, and she's the one who was like, um, I want to do a late night class called midnight yoga and I want you to teach it. And that was the live music class. It was actually 10 to midnight. And she was like, and I was like, great, wow. I'll, I'll get my DJ friend. I'll go find musicians. I was like, I'll put up Christmas lights. She gave me money to go buy <laughs> Christmas lights and put them around the room and whatever. So I kind of like had the live music slash I played music and alternated between the two and created, created this like yoga theater. Um, which of course some people are like, Oh God, yoga is going to hell. And other people are like, this is fun. Like I'd rather do this than go get drunk or, or I'll do this before I go get drunk or whatever, you know? <laughs> um, so people literally, and people would show up like having had a couple of drinks that was not uncommon. Um, you know, but I was really earnest and I taught the class and I would read like a poem and I would like, Cute. you know, I would really, yeah, I would do all kinds of stuff that you don't really see me do these days, but I was like, you know, I was into it and, and, uh, and that was a fun class. And then she fired me. <laughs> what? She, she did. She, um, um, and it broke my heart. I started, you know, I was, I also taught outside of Laughing Lotus and, uh, she came up to my class at Sonic Yoga where I had this banging class on Saturdays. I think I inherited, uh, or Isaac Pena left Sonic Yoga for whatever reason. And I got his two classes from him and I turned these, I, I developed my own following there and just had like, you know, started basically developing multi-intenso um, up there and people would show up kind of religiously and, uh, she, and, and that, and that was seeping into my style at laughing Lotus, which was becoming, I guess, less formatted in the Lotus way where she wanted to, you know, she had the studio and I get it when you, I, I can imagine if you own a studio, you want to brand it. You don't want just, I mean, some studios are like all, all over the place, but I think she had the, the mindset of like, I want a laughing Lotus style and I want people to train and teach in that style. And I don't want other styles like, you know, seeping in there too much. So anyway, she came to my class and was like, this can't be good. Took the class. And then afterwards was like, you know what? There's only, uh, she says, I'm like, there's only room for one lion in this den. 
Oh. Wow. And uh, and and I was like, "Are you letting me go?" She's like, "Yep." And I was like, "Wow." And she was like, "Taxi," and jumped in a taxi. No. Yeah, like that. And I was like, "Damn!" Like I literally had to like That's sit cold. down. That is cold. That was cold. It was really cold. And so anyway, I went. Um, cool i went and i was looking around i was teaching a sonic still and then i went and found kula and kula was only like a little tiny room at the time like the desk where you check in was in the room where you did the yoga and it was like just a little i don't know, like an apartment size room and uh, i think i took like um i don't know whose class like stephanie's class or allison's class or something like that and then i went back and took another class and then i went and took skylar's class and skylar's nursing I think Phoebe, like who's now her oldest kid, mm-hmm. um, but it was a little baby, young enough to be nursing, and was like, I just, so I said, yeah, I just want to thank you for class. She's like, Are you a yoga teacher? I was like, Yeah. She's like, oh, We're looking for teachers. Would you want to, uh, you know, audition here? And I was like, Yeah, I'd love to. She's like, I'm going to send uh, Allison over to your class. So Allison came to my class somewhere. I might be having the timeline wrong. I might have started teaching Kula before I got fired. I don't know. Anyway, I started teaching at Kula and started learning from Skylar, who was that leads me to my second mentor. Yeah. Uh, and so Skylar was like, I will hire you on a contingency basis, meaning like I'm going to, you have to let me coach you. So she would take my class and after class, we would go to another room and she would be like, so why'd you do this? Why'd you do that? I like this. This didn't make any sense. I think you need to add more of this, take away some of that, et cetera. And um, so I got like free coaching. And I knew I didn't know anything also. So I was like, yeah. I mean, I knew I, I knew I knew how to throw a party and get people to <laughs> you know, have a good time and like sweat yeah. and work hard and listen to music that was trending at the time. Um, and, but I didn't know what I was doing. So I and she was she's Skylar's very methodical. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that coaching, that was another mentor, plus like her just her persona and how like she was like uh she was like, here at Kula, we're more like Sherpas, you know, like we lead people like on a journey. We don't, we're not like gurus, you know, I was like, okay. So I kind of dropped some of the um, wisdom talks that I was giving at Laughing Lotus in my Lotus style. Um, and so that was another mentor for me. Um, I did get hired back at Laughing Lotus again and then fired again. No. As a side note. Yeah, that's, that's the truth. <laughs> so she hired me again. I was like, Dana, you can't fire me again without a good reason. You know, like if I do something wrong, you, you know, and so she's like, don't worry about it. It's fine. And I went back there. But now I had this Kula influence and I, and I just grown in my practice. I was also dabbling in a little Anusara classes here and there and learning their like language and their techniques and stuff. And so I was kind of mixing that stuff in. And I think she was like, again, I'm sorry, it's just not on brand. And <laughs> oh so like, that's that. I'm never coming back. Yeah, please don't uh, ever go look back. back. There. <laughs> no, I'm not going back. Uh, but I still, you know, I still think of her as like, yeah, she was. She she turned a switch on in me, and in terms of um, how I thought about yoga and how and the passion for yoga, you know. And I still think of her as like a very passionate, you know, person. And so that's kind of inspiring. Yeah, I'm, um, I'm glad so, to hear. I'm glad to hear yeah. you mentioning Skylar as well as a, a mentor. I I consider her one of mine as well. And I think what you know, one of her strengths is like what you're mentioning is that she's a she is a wonderful mentor when she you know, when she decides to be, and she really draws out a lot of precision from her teachers. You know, I think like at when she was still in New York, she like, she ensured a kind of level of, of, um, maybe excellency is the wrong word, but uh, at least a level of attention to detail that, that I think has sort of maybe softened a little bit since she left. But, um, so 
Let's talk about Naveen. You know, when I first yeah. began taking your class, you had already switched from multi-intenso to your Katona-inspired style. Um, I'm forgetting the name of what you called it then. Vesca practice. Vesca, that's right. And by the way, I still teach a class called multi intensa and I and I and right. I think I did go through a phase where I was like, no, 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 like I, I've turned away from that. I'm a new, I'm a different person. But like, honestly, I never really put down like the sort of rigor of you know at least that style of it. Like the approach is different. Is I'm much more systematic and like sort of there's more method to it now. But um, yeah. I don't have anything. I'd see nothing wrong with like doing a vigorous calisthenics based yoga practice. Um, the handstand is one part of it, but it's more, it's basically just getting in control of your body and learning how to use it in a very functional way. So, you know, it's not unlike what someone would call like functional fitness, but it's not, I don't call it that because it's not, it's not exactly what people, it doesn't look like what people are calling, you know, Right, so the, fitness, anyway. the, the old school. So I haven't abandoned that entirely. You know, I'm not like right. I never because I, I teach right now a class called multi intenso, and I'm very psyched about it. Yeah, no, I was going to mention that, but I, uh, it's it, is the multi intenso from before more kind of like a wham bam, thank you, ma'am, fast vinyasa versus this more. It, it, has it become more kind of katona inspired and slower, or is how would you? Well, it used it? to be so. Uh, it had this sort of modern dance, like rolling around, sort of choreographed beginning to it, where it's like monkey see, monkey do, and certain kind of adept <laughs> practitioners could follow along and do a good job of it, and other people were just literally like rolling around, like <laughs> you know, like a baby on the floor, you know? It was sort of funny. Um, and then um, I just put a lot of. I was also doing Kundalini yoga at the time, and so I put a lot of like I would put like a. I would sort of modify a kundalini kriya and there would be like at least 15 minutes of, you know, kundalini can get, you know, you go full on like doing like, you could be doing jumping jacks or sit-ups or something very similar, you know, or like standing up forward bend, standing up forward bend. And we do it for like five minutes. And then we do like some other exercise for five minutes and we do another one. I just play a song and be like, good, you know, enjoy yourself. Uh, and I'm not like, anti that. Um, but it was just a mix of like, I didn't mean to, sort of tear apart what I created there because I think like a lot of people got a lot out of it. It's just, there's a lot I didn't know about like how to like rest um, certain muscle groups while you, you know, work on other ones and then go back to the first one. So I would just kind of like hammer things in, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and there just wasn't enough kind of like intelligence and in the conditioning and like the, and on the technical side. So the one I, the one I teach now is like very organized and yeah. very, um, it's basically like an hour, it's an hour class. It happens to be at the Aloe studio. If you want to show up on Tuesday and Thursday at 1230. Um, and it's a highly organized class and the whole class is based on flexion and extension of the spine and then the circular movement of the shoulders. Uh, and then there are handstands in it and you could say there's some drills for handstands in it but it's not just a handstand class so it's basically just like an integration class or a mobility class if you want to call it that so integrate and mobilize um and alternate but you get the spine to be really strong in those two positions flexion and extension and uh, i guess the axial extension in between um so it's just more methodical and i just have more like experience now and so you know it's just better because with it just got better with age right Right. So yeah. what is what what role has Naveen played in your evolution as a teacher and and what have you learned from her? So yeah, Naveen, um I I had had a I had sustained um well I don't know anybody who hasn't lived a life without getting injured. I've said that many times before, you know, whether it's just like um 
it's just some psychological trauma or a physical trauma or both, um, or the interplay between the two. Um, but I had had an encounter at, um, early on in my teaching where, uh, I tried to stop like a mugging on the street and the guy who was, it was, um, on meth or something like that, he pulled out a box cutter and he sliced my hand, um, multiple lacerations, my hand to my arm. And I had to like run to the hospital, ended up having to get like surgery, um, to reattach the, um, tendon in my thumb in two different places. And then they had to go in and make sure that the arteries to my fingers weren't um, cut off so that blood, if I, if they were, I might lose some fingers. There was a chance I might lose the hand. So it was about a year of wearing, like I I got the surgery and it was great surgeons and it was successful and I got to keep my hand and, but I had to have my arm in a cast for about a year, a year. And then they couldn't really use that arm and put weight on it for about like a year and a half. So my right arm had like atrophied. And so in my yoga practice, it like, you know, it felt like I was doing things in a balanced way, but I was doing things in a very off-centered way. And I was also kind of developing a more sort of rigorous practice. Uh, and so it actually kind of enhanced the asymmetry in my body because I was kind of like pushing really hard. Mm-hmm. And so by the time I found Naveen, um, I just had this kind of spin in my torso uh, to the left. Um, and then she had other sort of reasonings why it, it was that way. Um, but her daughter was managing Kula at the time and would bring Naveen to my class. I've told the story a bunch of times, so I'll try to expedite it. Uh, and eventually Naveen just revealed to me that she was a yoga teacher and she had a little studio upstate and I should come and visit anytime. Uh, and it's on her, you know, she'll treat me. And I went up there and she did the whole thing, strapped me in and centered me and read me like an open book, you know, the way she reads bodies. Yeah, yeah. And a little tear came down my cheek and I was like, oh my God, like she sees me, you know? <laughs> and um, and and then I took her practice and she was like, I don't want to see what you can do. I want to see what you can't do. So I'm ready to like show her my press Hansen that I've been hammering into my body, you know? And she's like, great, good. But can you sit and go Mukasana? You know, do you know how to like love center yourself in your hips and and so it was actually made me want to quit teaching yoga because I was like, what do I know? You know, and she was so fascinating. She had her, you know, her script or her rap as she calls it. And it was just like bells were going off in my head because like I said, I had already been sort of intrigued by the, the I Ching. And so she was relating the messages of the I Ching in a very sort of contemporary and humorous way. And I was just like, this woman's brilliant. Uh, so I was like, her yoga is really difficult for me, um, uh, but I love listening to her. And so I kept going back. And, um, you know, putting your knees in your armpits and, and some of the yoga, some of the assists that she gave, it like opened up my, it opened up areas of my body that I just had no way of accessing because I didn't know how to find them. I didn't even know that they existed. And so, um, and it, I don't know, it just, um, it was kind of revelatory. And I was like, you know, it's a shame that this is just, you know, 15 people, the same people, by the way, showing up to her class up in Bedford Hills. Like she hadn't opened in the city or anything like that. And so I was mm-hmm. like, it, I studied with her for a few years before I was like, okay, how am I going to start to use this, incorporate this into a vinyasa class? So right away, I scaled down my sequences, whereas it used to be like long strings of posture on the right, long string on the left. And people were like, wow, how do you remember so many postures? And I'm like, well, I just have a good memory for postures. And, <laughs> you know, also I'd done, uh, Chinese martial arts, like Shaolin Kung Fu, where you learn forms where that might be like 
you know, up to 30, 40 um, movements, you know, where you have to yeah. memorize them and, and do them over and over again in a very precise way. So I was kind of like already in the habit of remembering movement and transition and shapes and things like that. So I was, I was fairly good at that. So anyway, I scaled down my class because I was like, well, if I really want to balance people's bodies, I'm not going to do like five postures on the right and then try to go back and kind of like, you know, um, balance them, do them in the same way on the left side of the body. So if we twist to the right, we're going to twist to the left and then we're going to go down the middle. And that's just like the classical yoga has always done, honestly. Like if you do Ashtanga yoga, like you do the right side, jump through, jump, you know, jump yeah. back, jump through, yeah. do the left side, jump back, jump through, up, chaturanga, up, da, 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 go down the middle. So, you know, you do triangle to the right, triangle to the left, revolt, da, 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 back and forth. So I actually started practicing Ashtanga by myself later on in a Mysore situation studio situation, not my sort of the place. Um, and then I was applying to the best of my ability, the Katona principles to the Ashtanga practice, because a lot of the postures they mean taught were basically Ashtanga postures. I mean, they were not unlike Ashtanga postures, you know? Right. Yeah. Um, so yeah. And, and I did kind of like, you know, her, her rap, as she calls it, it's, it evolved slowly over time, but people memorize it. And I was one of those people that kind of like memorized some of the like Katona-isms or Naveen-isms, you know? Yeah. Uh, and so I would kind of like, and those are basically ways to convince people to take the time and, and put the effort into kind of like measuring out their postures, that there's a reason behind it and it's worth it, you know? Um, and, you know, also some things which are now kind of par for the course, but it's like, you know, bending your knees in a forward bend or bending your knees in downward facing dog. People were like, no, 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 it's supposed to be locked knees. It definitely supposed to be locked knees. So like getting yeah. people to bend their knees, like it seems like you're like trying to start a revolution. Now it's kind of like, <laughs> it's smart. It's like now people have a bent knee forward bend and a straight legged forward bend. Like why not? I mean, you're doing forward bends every day. You should have more than one, you know, mm -hmm. um, between squatting and doing a full straight legged forward bend, you have like 180 degrees. Why aren't you like working with all of that? You know? Um, so, you know, things like that I started to incorporate, which now you, I wouldn't even say that I'm teaching like a Katona inspired class anymore because it's kind of like, it's just human movement. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, I look at my son, I've got a six year old and when he's playing on the floor, with his Legos, he's in a squat and his knees are in his armpits and he's reaching for a leg for yeah. a Lego and he moves his knee forward with his armpit on top of it, grabs the Lego and comes back. Like the knee fits into the armpit. I'm sure Naveen just looked at children and were like, right, seems like that works. Plug that thing in, you know? <laughs> Yeah. And there's more to it than that, you know, but like, um, but just that idea of like one form conforming and, and, and transforming with another one, you know, like the shape of the knee and the armpit, the shoulder and the throat, et cetera. Um, that's fascinating. Yeah. Um, but it's not the, you know, now, especially that Katona is more and more popular and more people are taking trainings with, of course, not just Naveen, but with Abby and, and even other teachers. Um, I'm less interested in, I don't feel like I need to do that anymore. Whereas at that time I was kind of like, I want to put this out there, you yeah, know? Yeah. And I never kept it a secret and I was always very, um, I, I really, uh, that was like very important to me that like she wasn't just this like um secret source of information i was going around pretending like i was a really smart guy you know um as tempting as that is yeah um so when i went and i started traveling to like germany and stuff when i taught workshops i'd be like by the way you might want to find a woman named naveen Mashan next time you're in new york and so very slowly i feel like i was one of the first people that went out out outside of new york and was like or even into the city 
because I, I brought a lot of people upstate. I'll give myself credit for that up to the studio as well. You know, I'm not the only one for sure, but I was definitely one of the first ones to travel internationally and be like, big up Katona Yoga, check it out. You oh know? yeah. You were definitely one of the first evangelists of Naveen for sure. And I mean, I yeah. when you were there, it was still, there was a buzz, you know, but it wasn't, it, it wasn't quite as blown up as it has gotten. But I'm wondering if you like know why Naveen like stopped teaching in the city. Cause right. Is that correct? She only teaches in Bedford hills now yeah well the studio like most studios but that studio was a money pit as far as i understand the it was on eighth avenue on what was it 19th 20 something i don't remember chelsea 17th 17th right and and on the second floor but like right on eighth avenue and really expensive yeah and um you know her classes were full abby had full classes i think they started to get fuller um as the studio went on um but like you know there were a lot of downtime there's a lot of downtime during the day and i think to have a studio in that kind of location you just need like a packed schedule of packed classes yeah uh, for it to make a lot of money and she also signed a five-year lease and she said from the very beginning like this is going to be a five-year thing you know right she's not i don't know exactly her age and if i did i probably wouldn't say it anyway but i don't know that she would really care i don't think but um (laughs) I'm just not sure. Yeah. Uh, but I think she was just kind of like, I, I don't need to be hustling this hard, you know? Mm-hmm. And she doesn't need, as far as I understand, she doesn't need yoga to like pay the rent, you know? Right. So she doesn't have that kind of motivation that some other people do where they're kind of like, well, no, I got to keep, you know, this has to be, this hustle has to stay strong, you know? Yeah. Um, she really wants to just, I think she's really in it for like the investigation. She really wants to like, get to the bottom of something, you know? And I think that's really been her agenda all along. And for a long time, she was seemed to be very content with nobody knowing who she was and just working with individuals. And then I think once the method started to get out there and people were a little bit confused about where this method came from because other people sounding just like her saying the exact same things where people were like assuming that that was their method and so I think it finally maybe she started to be like, you know what, I've worked my whole life on this. And I made this Geometry of Yoga video, and she actually helped fund that video, by the way, uh, and basically gave me her blessing to go make it. But I didn't call it a Katona Yoga video, even though there's some Katona, you know, things that if someone does Katona Yoga, like, hey, I learned that adjustment at Katona Yoga. Um, But I wanted to, I called it Geometry of Yoga because I was like, I'm not really sure if I'm like expressing Katona Yoga well enough to be like, this is Katona trademark copyright yoga, you know? Right. So I, I kind of did that, but like it, I just still is right at the you know dead center of my bio. Learned a lot from Naveen Mishan. So if you're into that video and you are you you know are intrigued by me and you go to my website and you read my bio, you find out who she is. And so that was my way of doing it. But I didn't want to call it a Katona Yoga video because I was like, I don't know. I'm not really like I would need Naveen standing on set to tell me like you know this is your method. How do you want this? presented you know yeah yeah i'm yeah. a student of katona yoga and that's no secret you know so but i've gotten some flack like you know little comments or whatever people like someone was like there's someone naveen worked her whole life and you're just gonna like steal this and i'm like excuse me there are people doing that but that's not me so wow yeah. yeah well a lot of your intensives are also titled the geometry of yoga so can you give us like a, a few of the principles of you know that um as you're saying are related to the katona method but what would you outline as sort of a few principles of of the geometry of yoga 
Yeah, so basically the, the, one of the main principles is that good form functions, and if it doesn't function, it's not good form, basically. You know? mm. So there's people who teach like form or alignment, uh, and a lot of it is kind of just stylizing postures. It's sort of arbitrary, like the rules of the alignment. It's like in this style, we do our triangle pose this way. You know? yeah. um, and I'll teach numerous ways doing yoga postures and use whatever way leads to better form, meaning like whatever has been sort of misshapen, or if you will, people don't like the term deformed, but if you just take a very literally it is what it is you know it's like if you like had an you broke something or like i said like i had an injury to my hand like my hand changed shape you know mm-hmm. so to get my hand to kind of like re- reform and into the it's like original shape i had to like be very meticulous about how i position my body in yoga postures so uh good form functions and if it doesn't it's not good form so the primary objective is to kind of like reform the body so that it functions well um, and we do that through, you know, measuring out postures in the sense of kind of like not going further on one side than you would go on the other side, you know? So you're not playing yoga like a sport where you're like, I'll just develop my good arm in this pose. And, and on the other side, like, whatevs, that's cool. I just won't show off that one that much, you know? And you're never going to be perfect. And everybody says like, yeah, but nobody's perfect and nobody's born perfect. It's like, we're not talking about perfect and not use that word. Um, but we're just talking about like, you know, basically being responsible for your actions by like participating in them mindfully, you know, yeah. um, not to use a cliche, but just like paying attention to what you do and how you do it. And then noticing that, that what the effects are and if it's positive effects, stick with it. And if it's not, then you can sort of alter your method. Um, so I give physical adjustments and they used to be a lot more like a tone adjustments, but to be very honest and frank, um, I don't want to use, I don't think I have the right to, um, manipulate people's bodies in the way that some of the Katona adjustments do. Um, so I don't want to be swiping perineums or grabbing people or like digging my heels into their hips or like, you know, so my adjustments are much more on the side of like suggestions with, with, with very minimal and light touch for Mm -hmm. the most part. Mm -hmm. Um, and then it's very much technique oriented and most of it is verbal, you know, it's like, I, if I can talk someone into a posture, then they can keep giving themselves that adjustment, you know? And I'm also pretty on board with like the, you know, the trend in like mobility where it's like, why are you taking yourself to uh, a place that you, you, why are you trying to push your body into places where it can't go on its own, you know? Yeah. So no one needs my body weight on top of their forward bend, but I can teach them how to engage their core and set up their limbs so that they can go further Mm. uh, and then calibrate that themselves. Wow. Um, so that's a big switch, you know, actually, because I, 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 I mean, when I did your training, uh, the 75 yeah. hour at, at Katona, um, you were still in a very strong uh, adjustment phase. And I got some really stellar adjustments from you, to be honest. Yeah. Well, thank you. Well, I still <laughs> give. I mean, it depends. I mean, like it, there are ways, you, you know, like the whole thing with mobility is like, oh, well, don't put the body in where it can't go by itself. Well, you do like the passive versus active mobility, you know, like you can't really make that much progress as far as I understand, like with like the active mobility where you like literally like use the muscles to turn the bone, to turn the joint, to bring yourself into some bind or whatever, um, unless you have that passive range already. So I still do will offer, um, more sort of intense adjustments, but I don't know. I'm much more selective, more selective about yeah. when I do it and who yeah. I do it to and like knowing their body and where they are. Yeah. During that training, there was like, there were two people, a man and a woman who ended up becoming a couple. And, um, at least for a brief period. And I remember like, walking into the room and like one of them would be in like, uh, and this is a very Katona thing, like a rounded plow. And the other one would be like sitting basically like, you know, groin to groin and like rocking back and forth. And I was kind of like, 
okay, guys, like, if you want to do that in the off time, that's totally fine. But just so you know, like, this isn't part of the training, you know, like, <laughs> like this is, I mean, and I'm not, I don't mean to create a judgment. It's just like not, it's just not what I'm offering, you know? Yeah. And so I want to make that distinction. So I'm not like, don't get me wrong. There's no, like, I don't want to make anything sound like, you know, yeah, growing to growing dismissive to be for sure. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that too. That too. But even of Katona Yoga, I'm not trying to dismiss what other people, Katona teachers are doing. I'm just like, that's just not what I'm doing. So if you're right. looking for that, then you should go to, you know, certain Katona teachers who will teach you that. But that's just not what I'm offering, you know. So, yeah. um, so and then I have other adjustments. Like after years of adjusting, I was like, oh, well, you know, um, you know what yoga doesn't have is like hanging, you know. So mm-hmm. um, I have adjustments that I offer where you literally like first thing for a classic one would be like someone's in side angle. And so they're the extended arm, let's say it's your right arm alongside of your ear, you would grab my hand and I can lean back and then I give you verbal cues of how to adjust your posture so that's like you optimize the basically the strength and the structure of the form so that I can lean back with my full body weight. And if I teach that to someone much smaller than me, they can hold my entire body weight, me hanging back. And I can teach it to somebody and I can offer that adjustment to somebody who's like much bigger than me and I'll lean back and they'll like fall to pieces, you know? Right. So I'm like like this is how good form functions you know it's just really about how you position yourself and it makes the job you know it gives you this biomechanical advantage basically so that's what i'm teaching people is how to you know gain the biomechanical advantage in their yoga postures uh and not necessarily go as deep as possible but i have you know a pretty awesome wheel assist that i teach um and i don't know if it's exactly a katona thing because i've shown it to katona teachers and they're like we don't really do it that way we kind of just pull this way and that way and so anyway i have my own method and it's come you know so I, I feel like i've come into my own now so i don't have to say um you know i don't i don't feel like i have to put it up front like this is a katona inspired training although you know to deny that katona had this major influence would be you know a lie so right so it's there but it's, it's not the only thing you know Right. Wow. Well, we're getting towards the end of our conversation, David. It's been absolutely awesome. Um, so, I w- But I want to ask before my uh, final question, sort of if there's anything else regarding, you know, any other principles of your teaching that you wanted to kind of highlight or address, um, you know, that sort of where you're at now versus perhaps where you came from as a teacher or anything else? Uh, yeah, you know, um, I like now seeing like how succinct I can be. Um, yeah. I, I think that especially as, um, you know, as I get older, but, and, and, and not just like that my body ages, but that I have more responsibilities and like less time. I want to get like the most bang for my buck when I practice. Um, so in terms of how I structure the practice, I want people to get like as much as they can out of it in a short amount of time. And so I cut away a lot of the fat. Um, and I do that also like verbally. I try to make my cues like really concise and really simple, but like without diminishing the complexity of the practice. Um, and so that's something like I, it's like a game I play where it's like how few words can I say to convey the message to get people to do the thing that I think is necessary for them to do to give themselves like an advantage in their, you know, how they use their time when they practice and how far they go with their body, you know? Mm. Um, so that's what kind of my specialty is now. Um, I've always been like a cross training kind of person. Like I run when the weather is good. Um, I've gone back to after, you know, has 
been since like high school that I've lifted weights, but I've started like weightlifting and like basic things like just like squats and things like that, that like I think work your back in a way that no yoga posture I've found can do. Um, and I do hanging things, like calisthenic things. And then I, I also do still, you know, classical yoga postures and it's all kind of mixed together into this hybrid practice. And I think that just gives me more perspective now. Whereas when I was just like Mr. Yoga dude, I was kind of like trying to fix yoga problems with more yoga. Mm -hmm. uh, and so that's where yoga sort of like turns, like crumbles on itself, you know, where it's like, like you, you create the problems and fix the problems and create more problems and try to fix them instead of being like, you know what? Like there are other props besides blocks. You yeah. Know? yeah. And yeah. so you should be using those and you don't do any hanging in a yoga practice. People are like, no, there's some pulling when you bind them. Like that's not the same thing. Um, so, you know, go actually hang from a bar and be like, that's totally different than just binding, you yeah, know? Try to do a pull. Um, yeah. Exactly. Try to do a pull it, like pull it together. I mean, our body design mostly for pulling, you know, and practically speaking, most of what you need to do is pull. And so practical strength and just like that, you know, it's trending now, but it's, it should have, it should have been trending all the time. It's like functional strength. It's like a lot of what you're doing in yoga, you're kind of like, why though, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and so at a certain point, like I could give a shit if somebody is impressed with like some, you know, tricks that I do. I mean, maybe something I do is impressive, but other things are just kind of like, so what? I can do that too. Um, but so I just don't have that kind of ego anymore that I used to where I was like, I got to one up the, the other, you know, alpha practitioners. So um, I, I just don't have, I, I guess it's my age talking, you know, but I just don't have that kind of uh, motivation anymore. So now I'm just like, what works? What doesn't work? I'll keep what works. And, uh, you know, part of quote unquote working is that you're, you're having a good time also, you know, mm -hmm. um, that it's not just this chore that you do, you know, so it's not just straight up like brushing your teeth and scraping your tongue, but you know, it's like, it's enjoying the whole process. So I still believe that you, one should enjoy the process. So that's why I'm still kind of like skill focused because, you know, just working out to kind of like burn off calories or to, you know, get your body ready for the beach or something. It's like, it just doesn't motivate me, you know? So like, well, if I'm it doesn't motivate you, you're doing pretty good. I mean, yeah, I'm doing all right. You know, but like, you know, so I mean, but I, I also like that feeling of, you know, being vigorous, you know, so I yeah. still enjoy that. And so I, you know, I just try to forget my age when I'm practicing and, um, you know, it seems to work. So yeah, but thank you. I had a really good time talking to you. Man. Yeah, well, I mean, I based on what you're saying that you kind of have an eclectic sort of approach, um, you know, is a good way of uh, it makes this last question a good one, which is, you know, what are you doing besides yoga to get those apps? <laughs> so, you know, I do a lot of, like I mentioned, I do a lot of hanging stuff. Um, you know, some people just have their abs just kind of show. Pop, like yeah. I saw a baby picture of me and like I had like kind of, <laughs> you could see like a six pack and I definitely wasn't like doing any kind of training, you know? And my kid kind of has the same thing when he's like exerting himself in funny ways. I'm kind of like, huh, he's, cause he's got my limbs and my legs. He's like, he's got me and he's like me. Um, a different coloring a little bit, but anyway, um, I do a lot of hanging things and basically what I do, everything I do is like a compound movement. So I don't do that much like core focused stuff. The mo most core focused thing I do, and I would say this is like the most efficient one is hanging leg lifts. Mm, yeah. So if you like go into like a dead hang on the bar and like you know, what people call toes to bar, toes to bar. Uh, and if you do just the half version of that, so if you just go to an L and then back up to the bar, that's actually twice as hard. Oh God. In yeah. my opinion. So I could do like half as many reps on those. So that's what I'll do for like 
like, you know, but then I'm also working on things which, you know, may or may not ever happen perfectly, but, um, you know, like front lever and back lever and things like that, where like, you know, your core is kind of like part of the whole thing. Um, so I try to focus mostly on things where like I'm connecting the core to the limbs. So I don't do a lot of like, you know, Pilates type of things where you're just like laying on your back exactly. And just pulling into your chest. I mean, I consider that stuff. It's good. It it does have an effect, but it's a little bit more like vanity work compared to this other stuff where it's like, really like you get, it's a lot more, you get a lot more bang for your buck. Yeah. 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 You get that integration. You can really use it and feel it all day long instead of just having this one really kind of strong section of your body. And then these like fragmented limbs that kind of (laughs) don't necessarily connect. You know, you can see that like sort of like, yeah, yeah, like they're like a sausage, like a a thick sausage in the middle. And then the arms and the legs are just kind of like these little spaghetti things that come out and like don't really connect. (laughs) Not to make fun of anyone's body type. Let's just delete that. But (laughs) yeah. (laughs) Um, So, okay. So to, to wrap things up, I just want to give you an opportunity to maybe invite people a to your class. So you mentioned it's at aloe yoga. Is that correct? That's right. Tuesdays and Thursdays at 1230. Yeah, and, and they're going to open in Williamsburg, and I might teach there. Um, so just check their schedule for that, and it'll be my, you know, what my signature multi-intensive class. And right now I have one. I have like multi-intensive A. Let's say I'm going to have a B class, which is more lower body focus. So the one we're doing now is a little bit more like core upper body focused, if I had to say, um, even just so you know what to expect. Um, and then the the B class is going to um, have a more of a lower body focus to it. So core to the lower body. And then do you uh, have any? I, sorry, go yeah, ahead. Sorry. Yeah, trainings. Uh, I offer these 30-hour modules. Um, I haven't scheduled the next one, but it's the exact dates, but it's going to be in the fall. I'm also about to do my first 200-hour training in 2020. So if you're interested in doing a 200-hour training, um, and my 200-hour is for people who, yeah, it could be your first training, but it could also, you know, when you say 200-hour, people are like, oh, so it's the one where you... Um, basically do the same stuff that everybody else does in tour general trainings, but no, that's not the case. So, um, I really, um, you can take it and it just happens to be 200 hours, but you, you might learn more than you would in someone else's 300 hour, you know, Right. The fact that it's 200 hours doesn't mean beginner. It just means it happens to take 200 hours to teach this stuff. Yeah, it resonates with what you said before, which is, you know, you're, you're basically doing what you had sort of thought was the responsible way to teach, which is teaching what you know, which will extend beyond perhaps what, what other people would cover in uh, another kind of 200-hour training that's trying to tick all the boxes. Right, exactly, and leave out some of the boxes that I'm just like, well, you know, that's just not what I do, so I'm not going to pretend that I do that. And, and just because, you know, the people who created the Yoga Alliance, by the way, are just like they're business people and they're yeah. just collecting dough. I mean, I'm just going to put this out there. like, No, I agree. F them, you know, like they, they have nothing to do with anything relevant in my opinion. So like there's no oversight and thank God for that because if these people showed up at trains were like, well, where's the this and where's the that? And like, just go back to Texas or wherever you're from. No offense, Texans, uh, but wherever these people are from, but it's just literally like, I don't know who these people are and like why they should matter to anybody. Yeah, um, I agree. You know, I agree. Yeah. yeah. That's a whole nother conversation. Yeah, um, yeah. We can do that next time. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, David. This has been an absolutely wonderful interview. I really appreciate you uh, giving your time to talk to me hey, today. Thanks. Yeah. Awesome, man.